Okay, um, I actually felt like during worship, I want to start and just pray for something. Um, I felt like some of you have been going through uh, some trials or some storms, and I just wanted to pray real quick. So you don't need to do anything, but just let's us all close our eyes, and uh, I just want to pray uh, for those that have been experiencing some, some oppression. So Lord, we thank you uh, that no weapon formed against us will prosper. We thank you, Lord, that every uh, knee will bow and tongue confess to the name of Jesus. And so I declare the name of Jesus to anyone that's in a storm. We thank you that you have peace. We thank you that you have joy, God, and that your peace is unshakable. And so we ask for the unshakable peace of heaven to fill those that are going through the trials. And we say no to the spirit of oppression, whatever uh, affliction or whatever has been going on or oppression or emotional oppression or feelings of depression. I say no more in Jesus' name, and we release the freedom of heaven right now. We thank you, God, that you are mighty to save and that you, uh, you're an overcomer and great Greater is he who's in us than he who's in the world. So we speak peace to the storms. We speak freedom uh, to any, to any uh, bondage. And we release the peace of heaven in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them to Hebrews 11. Can you mark two verses? And then when we go to the second one, you'll already have it marked. Does that, does that work? And then go to Matthew 6 as well. So if you could maybe put a th uh, something in there, I guess for all the technological ones, you can just flip real quick. But I like old-fashioned. So last week, I started this, uh, this series, Multiply. Uh, we're in a season of transition. And I talked about the key of, uh, a major key of walking through and seeing the multiplication of heaven is knowing who God is as the provider and stepping out uh, into places of transition, that there's vulnerability there, but that we're made to constantly not be clinging to the security of our circumstances, but finding it uh, in the security of who he is as the provider for our lives. And uh, in response to that, I felt like the Lord wanted me to go a little deeper. I kind of opened up, I uh, went on a little rabbit trail with faith, and I felt like God wanted me to go deeper this week uh, into the nature of faith. So that's where we're going to go. Uh, I'm going to first kind of identify, define faith, kind of build a, a groundwork of what it is, and then go into what it actually looks like. So buckle up, we're going to go for a ride. Does that sound good? All right, four of you are ready to go. So the rest of you, I'm just going to go anyway. So Hebrews 11, verse 1. Are you there? I'm not. You beat me to it <laughs> for me. Now, faith is the substance, or some translations, the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things unseen. The substance of things hoped for and the conviction of things unseen. Faith is an internal conviction, right? It's something that's inside of us. It's the substance of things hoped for. Paul says, who hopes for what he can see? You don't hope in what you can see. That's not hope anymore. Uh, you hope in the unseen. It's a belief, a deep-rooted belief uh, in the goodness of God and the promises of God, but it actually looks like something. It's the substance of something hoped for, right? A lot of times we have this notion, I hear it, I've heard it in other religions, but I've also heard it in Christianity, where we talk about something like blind faith. Who's talked about blind faith before? 
Nobody. Okay. I knew, I knew there were some blind faith people. I have as well. I don't believe that blind faith is the best way to describe what faith is, what biblical faith actually is. And the reason for that is that blind faith is very passive. It's like, I'm just blind faith, just believing, right? Just believing on a feeling. Like, I just, like, it's just blind. There's really nothing active about that. And faith, uh, I will propose to you or uh, present to you tonight, is, is an active experience, right? Faith is in the unseen, but it's not blind. There's a big difference. Okay, blind is you're blind. You can't see anything. Faith sees. Faith sees really clearly, actually. It's just unseen, right? Do you see the difference here? Blind is like, I'm just blind. Three blind mice. Blind squirrel finds a nut every once in a while, right? Like, that's not faith, right? Faith is very on a mission. It sees. It perceives. It's just not seen yet, right? So God gives a promise. How do you know it's true? You don't. But you know what it promises, right? And you can put faith in that. So faith isn't blind. It's active. Faith is an active experience. It is something that must be exercised, right? And there's kind of a paradox even in Scripture. I'm sure some of us have um, read these verses. I'm going to read um, the first one. I'm going to read them quickly. I don't want you to turn there. Uh, is Ephesians 2, verse 8. Um, this is a, a big one people talk about in referring to faith. It says, for by grace you've been saved through faith, and that is not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one can boast. Right? This is where we get the idea that we're saved by faith, not works. Right? Do we agree with that? Yes. We do not earn our salvation. Right? We're saved by faith. It's a gift of grace. So it's something that's received. Right? But then you flip over a few pages to James chapter 2, verse 18. And uh, it says, Even so faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by, by itself. But if someone may well say, You have faith and I have works, show me your faith without the works. I'll show you my faith by my works. So what is it? Am I saved by faith, not by works, or is my faith dead without works? Do you see the tension here? Okay. I'm getting the key on right here. She sees the tension. All right, everybody else, I'm hoping you see the tension here. There's a tension here in faith, right? It's, it's, we're not saved by it, but there's also this works in this relationship. We need to have an understanding because we can veer into legalism or we can veer into passivity. And I don't think either one of those is what God wants. He wants us rooted right in a central biblical understanding of faith. And it's an active experience. Faith must be exercised. Okay, so I'm going to give like a hypothetical scenario of saving faith. Right? Someone that receives salvation. Okay? So what happens at salvation? I'm going to give a generic. This is not by any means the box that everybody happens. But usually what takes place is somebody is at kind of a low point in life. Right? Or they're struggling with some things. But, or whatever happens. Someone comes home on the street. They hear a sermon. They hear a message. They listen to a YouTube. They go Facebook. And in this moment, they become convicted of something. Right? And they're walking down, say, this path. And what happens when you hear the gospel preached, the simple gospel that God loves you, you don't have to earn his affection. You don't have to earn his salvation. You don't have to earn his love. We just sing it. Love it. We didn't even talk about that. Me and Jordan's vibing on the same page. But, right, you're, you're, this is the world. Earn, earn, earn. You are worth what you can do. That's every world religion. That's all of life. That's what the American dream feeds you. You are worth what you can do. 
then the gospel gets preached and a door opens and you see another path that says you are loved for who you are. You have intrinsic value, right? There's the simple gospel. In this moment, a door's open and you can see something that you could not see before. You were actually blind, but you saw this invitation from Jesus, right? And we say, you know, you say this prayer and now you invite Jesus into your heart and you can start walking this path. That is an unseen reality, right? Not very many people or stories I've heard, does Jesus come in the flesh and describe the whole gospel and say now, da, 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 right? It's blind. You can't see it. It's blind in the natural sense, right? But there's this unseen that gets opened. That is a gift of grace right there, what just happens. When somebody gets their eyes open to see the unseen reality of the gospel, that is a gift of grace. Are you following me? You can't earn that. You can't fight for that. You, like, that is, whoa, the grace of God. Now, faith, if you believe that, what do you do? You repent. I've been going down this path doing all kinds of crazy stuff. I want this, right? And you say, forgive me. You say, come into my heart. You actually act upon the belief. Are you following me? And you make yourself vulnerable, right? Because it's kind of vulnerable to say like, unseen Jesus, I'm going to forgive. I'm going to cry. I'm going to ask that, like, I'm going to put myself out there that you're real. I'm going to believe you in this moment. Right? And you, have you heard any, have you met any, you know, young believers that they'll say this prayer and they'll, they'll question it? They'll, they'll meet with you a few weeks later and be like, how do I know if it's real? Right? Have you had that question? Like, I've had that question. That's not a bad question. That's just someone trying to express, this is vulnerable. How do I know? I just exposed my heart to somebody that I can't see. How do I know, right? They're, they're, they're describing this experience of vulnerability, right? That, uh, over time, you stay in this place, you walk down this path, and what starts happening? Transformation in your life. You start being changed. Fruit starts getting born, right? You bear fruit. And this is what happens. Your faith turns into experiential knowledge. And I, I haven't had a doubting moment like, is that real? Is Jesus real? Was my salvation experience real? I haven't asked that question in a long time, right? Because it's no longer a question. My faith became knowledge. And there's no more vulnerability when something becomes knowledge, right? That is, when we get born again, we get saved into a life of faith. It says we walk by faith, not by sight. This is from faith and for faith. So what that's saying is this is the rest of your life now. From faith and for faith, you get to continually step out into increasing realms of vulnerability and trust and dependence, believing not blindly, just blind faith, in the unseen promises of God, following where he's telling you to go, out on the water, out on the water, out on the water, and your faith continually turns from faith, vulnerable, to knowledge, experiential knowledge. Faith, vulnerable, to knowledge, right? That's the life of Christianity. Right? And that is why faith without works is dead. Because if I told you that there is a stock market, that tomorrow morning when it opens up on the Dow, and the Dow opens everything, and it's ring the bell down in New York City, and it's going to explode a thousand times tomorrow. If I told you that, and you believed me, and you didn't put any money into that stock, I would really question if you believed me or not. Are you following me? If you tell me, I believe that's true, but you don't act on it, 
That's dead. That doesn't do anything. Right? So there's this, it's, it's, this is the relationship. Faith is not earned, it's received, and then it's acted upon. It's exercised. And we grow in faith as we walk with Jesus. Are you following me? Does that make sense? Not doing heresy? Amen? Okay. Hallelujah. I'm glad. All right. So that was my introduction. Okay? My introduction, I wanted to prove the point, just build a foundation to understand that faith looks like something. And what it looks like is risk. Who is familiar with Jeremiah chapter 29, 11? Read it a few times? Hashtagged it? Jeremiah 20, 11. There's something we overlook a lot of times. It says, uh, 29, I'm going to do 13, 14. It says, uh, it says, you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. We love that verse, Right? We love it. I love it. It's one of my favorites. My mom has it like on a stone. It was in the garden growing up. I always loved it. Loved that verse. But we fail to recognize sometimes, when do we find God? When we search for him with all our heart. We don't like all. We like, oh, yeah, we'll seek God and find him. We'll search for him. When you search for me, you'll find me. That's not what he's saying. You will find me when you search for me with all your heart. How vulnerable is it to do anything with all your heart? How much room is there for self-protection when you're seeking with all your heart? How much is there room for, you know, self-preservation and all these things and kind of like the, oh, my backup plans and this and plan B and plan C and i got four different, like, there's no room for that when it's with all your heart, right? God's saying, you will find me, use a poker analogy here, I don't know if that's allowed, I don't really play much poker, and I'm terrible at it, but poker analogy here, you will find me when you're all in, when all your chips are on the table, that's when you'll find me, not when you're keeping your backup plan and your safety net, right? When you're all in, in that moment, right, when you're waiting to see the cards flipped, what are the feelings going on? Whoo, ha, whoo. Right? Did I make the right, like, right? You're questioning, how do I know this is real? Is this right? Is this right? I don't know. This is scary. I don't know. Jesus is like, fix your eyes on me, Peter. Fix your eyes on me, Peter. Oh, oh, but the water. I'm on water. I shouldn't be on water. This is impossible. Da -da 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 -da. Right? Like, we can start doing all, but that's okay. He doesn't despise us there. That's where you find God, when you search for him with all your heart. Faith usually begins very small and broken. And what I mean by that is our journey of faith, and usually our salvation experience, this is, this is stereotypical, this is by no means, this does not mean what it is, but it usually starts small in the sense that when you surrender your life to Jesus, you're usually at a low point, right? And it's funny, you know, I imagine it's, it's kind of comical for Jesus where it's like we're like at the low pit of our lives. It's like, okay, I'll give you my life, just don't mess it up, you know, and he's like... You already did, but I'll take it, right? You know, it's like, it's like we act like it's such a scary risk at that point. Like, you know, we're like, I'm addicted. I'm broke. I def don't, uh, don't mess it up, God. So uh, it usually starts small, our salvation experience. And this is because I think we need, like, the threshold of faith, like that risk, to be pretty small. Like, because we're babies at that point. We're, we're little babies. So we, we start, right? Salvation is like the baby experience of faith. 
and God bears fruit in it. And this is not to despise that in any means. That's just the reality, right? But as we journey, uh, we are actually given opportunity to act in greater faith and demonstrate more mature love for Jesus. That is the opportunities, the glorious opportunities that present themselves as we, as we journey with him. He takes us from rags and he clothes us in his riches. And I don't mean financial riches when I say that. I just mean the riches of his glorious grace, right? Uh, he, he starts us at a cross and he takes us into the comfort of the Holy Spirit, right? There's a, there's a, there's a shifting that takes place, right? And I've seen, it's unfortunate, but I've seen people... That when they're in the cross season, when they're in the wilderness, when they're in the rags, they start praying these prayers that I'm like, those are the prayers of heaven. They're crying out. They're praying uncomfortable prayers. They're praying, I want this. I want the fullness. I want to, you know, da 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 And I've seen this too many times. It saddens my heart that then as they journey with God into out of their just this brokenness and starting walking into a place of fullness... They don't pray those prayers anymore. And they actually just kind of stop. That, that, that from faith for faith just kind of like stops. And it's not that they don't love God. It's not that they're not walking with him. It's not that they're not seeking him. They're just not seeking with all their heart anymore. And this is why. Because when you only have one chip, you only got one to put in. But as your chips start getting bigger, it's a lot easier to start justifying and rationalizing and using logic to say, I'll just put half of them. And it looks really good, but you don't find God halfway in. You find me when you search for me with all your heart. Amen? Amen. Matthew 6, 21. You should have that, uh, should have that marked. Or you can flip there on your phones. I'll give you a sec. This is Jesus speaking. You can read um, the whole parable, the whole teaching, if you want, tonight or tomorrow. I'm just going to read verse 621. It's in the context of him preaching and teaching on the kingdom. Matthew 621 says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And you'll seek me and you'll find me when you search for me with all your heart. So if you want to discover... If you're seeking him with all your heart, just look at your treasure. And I'm not talking about finances. I'm talking about your treasure. Treasure is a lot of different things to a lot of different people. We get opportunities as we, the Lord starts entrusting us with treasure. He starts fulfilling the desires of our hearts. We get opportunities to find out, do we trust him with our treasure? Do we really love him more than the treasure. Uh, two examples of this, one biblical, one, ex, one just more modern, because I like to, to link the two. Uh, Abraham. How long did Abraham believe for a son? Right? He had a lot of flocks and stuff. That wasn't his treasure. His treasure was he wanted a boy. He wanted a family. He had a promise. He receives a son, and then what does God ask him? Will you give me your son? God's not wanting his son. God was wanting to find out who's your treasure. Is it my provision or is it me? 
right? And uh, Heidi Baker, I use her a lot just because she mar you marked my life. But uh, most people don't know when she was in her early 20s, she was doing evangelistic crusades in Asia, centered around Hong Kong mostly, seeing thousands of people come, get saved, preaching the gospel. The Lord came to her one day and said, stop preaching. She said, get behind me, Satan. She said, stop preaching. She said it again, get behind me, Satan. She said, it's not Satan, it's me. Stop preaching. And then he spoke to her and began to correct her and say, you know nothing about my kingdom. I want you to go live amongst the poor and give away the ministry. And I've only, you know, I've heard her speak on it personally. Uh, and she doesn't really go into the depths of that surrender. But that was a huge crossing road right there, right? Do you trust me with the treasure? What was her treasure? I'm living my call. I'm living my destiny. I'm preaching the gospel of thousands. I'm doing what the book tells me to. Stop preaching. Like, go love the poor, right? And there's this giving up of the treasure, right? Uh, Ezekiel 47 is a, you know, pretty famous passage as well. I'm just trying to hit them all tonight. Uh, and we talk about this river, right, that flows from the temple, flows from the threshold of the temple. Ezekiel is taken there in a vision. He starts in it, and he's like, you know, the water's up to my ankles. Then he keeps going like a thousand more cubits. I'm not sure how far a cubit is. But a bit, and it's like up to his knees, then he goes a thousand more cubits, it's up to his waist, then he goes a thousand more cubits. He says, the river's so deep, I couldn't ford it anymore, I can't pass it. I had to swim through, basically. Right? We love this. We're like, oh, Lord, overflow in this place. Right? Fill our hearts with your love. Like, send the river. Like, right? We pray these prayers all the time. That is a process of letting go. Once you get to where a river, you can't ford it anymore, and you jump in it, how much control do you have? <laughs> like none, right? You're going wherever that river's taking you at that point, right? And I think that is such a picture of the life of faith. You are perpetually and continually surrendering yourself to a deeper and deeper and deeper level, from faith and for faith, to the point where you are journeying into learning how to let go. We say it cliche all the time, I'm going to let go and let God. That's got to be real, right? But when we surrender, when we completely entrust ourselves to God, we trust not, lean not on our own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him. Then he'll make your path straight. There is something that takes place at the exact like location, at the moment that you can entrust yourself completely to God. That's the happiest thing you'll ever do. That is the best decision you'll ever make. Why? Because he is the most endlessly good, absolutely powerful God, right? Do we dispute those things? And he loves you madly. So what's going to happen when you give everything to that God? <laughs> How much do you have to worry about? How much do you have to fear? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, lo logically, we say we confess things often that we do not believe. How do you know you believe something you confess? You have an emotional alignment, a holistic alignment with that truth, right? We would not have depression. We would not have anxiety. We would not be up at night, and I'm speaking to myself, if I believed what I confess, All right? We got to believe. We got to get there, but how do we get there? How do we get, if we're here saying, okay, I'm recognizing there's some things I'm confessing that I'm not believing. Faith, risk. Risk is standing between us and that person who is also us, just a better version of us that God believes in. Risk is the threshold 
that we cross to get there. And this is not about perfection. This is about progress. This is a journey, right? God didn't like come. He could change us in a moment, but he doesn't like microwaves, right? He likes intimacy. He likes marriages, which I hear have a way of transforming you, right? Over time, you do not start where you end. And that's no different with God. We're learning to trust him continually. We're learning to walk in faith, not by sight. Uh, a few, two years ago, I was, and most of you know, I, I, I pastored a church that I loved deeply, planted it out of Eagle Nazarene, beautiful church that I grew up on. I was on staff for uh, three and a half years, I think, on staff there, and then planted a church with them out in Nampa and absolutely loved it. It was my treasure. Uh, I had surrendered to God in a very low place. He believed in me, walked a long journey of restoration. He put passion in me, told me this is what I called you to do, preach the gospel, plant churches. I did it. This was my first baby, and I loved it. I loved it. It was my treasure. It meant everything to me. When the Lord came and he asked me for it, he said, I want you to give it to me. Uh, it's time to go. He said, you're not anointed to lead this church anymore. You need to give it away. It's a very difficult season, and I was in this stretching, and I was in you know, how many chips do I put on the table type thing and in a very vulnerable place internally. Uh, I'm, in, uh, I'm, I have, I'm in a master's program right now, and I had a class on contemplative prayer in this season. And I had an assignment one day that said, draw a picture that describes your workplace. I was like, oh, boy, it's going to be an interesting picture, right? Not that I draw pictures a lot to represent my life, but I said, I'll try it. And I pulled out my journal. I started drawing. And immediately I drew a picture of a river that was flowing, like through a little village, and then it was flowing off the edge of a cliff into a place that I didn't know. And then there were people standing on banks, because I had a lot of people giving me advice that wasn't very good advice. It was just making me feel even more isolated. I didn't know, you know, all criticism, all these things. You know, people don't know what to do when you're out on the water. We don't like it. It's vulnerable. It makes other people vulnerable too, right? And I uh, was in that middle of that river, and I knew I was about to just gush right off the edge. And all I could think, I had all these voices, all these opinions that people had were like in little bubble prints. Bubble print, bubble print, bubble print. And then mine, all I could say is, I must have more of you, God. And I don't care. I don't care what it costs. I don't care what it looks like. I must have more of you. And I literally felt like I was letting go of everything I'd worked for. For three and a half years, it was something that was promised, fulfilled from a time of great brokenness. And I thought I was going like backwards and downwards. And I had no idea where that river was taking me. It was the scariest thing I ever did with my life. It said plant a church. I honestly didn't really want to come start plant this church because I was so tired and exhausted and devastated. And it was that act of abandonment is what started River House. And it was the scariest thing I ever did in my life. And I share that to say... That was the beginning, and before God, I've told him, I will not stop. That's how we'll do this thing. We're, that's, that's not just the beginning, that's the end, right? Like, then that's everything in between. That's what the life of faith looks like. It doesn't look logical, it doesn't make sense, but it does make miracles. I believe that in this place of letting go, when we finally just get in the river and we trust him, when he leads us there, this is not our own contriving, uh, that's where God begins to trust us. When we can lay our treasure before him, he sees somebody, he says, I, I can trust them. 
I can trust her. I can trust him. Because we're like pipes, like conduits of God. And he will give to us what he can get through us. All right? He will give to us what he can get through us. When he knows that the response of your life repeatedly, repeatedly, no matter how many chips you get, is I'm going to seek you with everything. He will continue to entrust because he's, he knows. I know the response. I trust them. This is going to get there. That's going to get there. That's going to get there. They're not going to let discouragement or fear or comfort or all these things keep them from releasing what I'm giving, right? Our life's not about ourselves. We're living for something bigger than ourselves. But God needs people he can trust. Oftentimes I've had people ask me that are kind of critical of things like the healing anointing and, uh, and miracles. And they'll say, well, then, you know, why, 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 don't, why don't more people get healed if God wants to heal? You know, and I'll say, because I don't think that there's people, enough people that God can trust with that type of power and authority. Right? Because if he gave it to them, they're not going to put it back. They're going to, like, we're not, we don't have the character that I'm just going to live in the river. Right? Because in the river, there's really no room for pride. There's no room for selfishness. There's no room for nothing. You can't hide it when you're all in. Right? You're like, ah, 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 I'm all in. I'm all in. I need God. Right? And it's not meant to live at panic. Right? You actually learn to walk this in trust. But so many of us, including myself, I get to places it's like, oh, okay, all right. I think I'm right. I think I'm right. Am I right? Right? No, no, right? Where's the boat? Where's the boat? Right? That's not what God needs. He needs people void of insecurity. He needs people who know who they are in Christ. When we can get to those places, when we can entrust our treasure to the Lord, that's when he says, I can trust them. I'm going to give them. I'm going to resource them. I'm going to release the anointing. I'm going to release the favor. I'm going to release what they need to do and fulfill their call because I can trust that soul. Abraham let go of his son, and he's the father of many nations. Heidi let go of her ministry in her young 20s when she said she was full of selfish ambition, and now she has a ministry that is transforming planet Earth, nations, governments, church, it like it's literally mind-blowing what God is using that woman and Roland, her husband, to do. Look it up if you're not familiar with her. It's incredible. God takes, God can do anything with a person that will let him do anything through them and not hold on to it, right? In this church, this is not just for special people. It's not a message about what God can do through the special people that have incredible faith. It's what God can do through normal people who have ordinary faith, but act on it who exercise it. Faith without works is dead. It's not striving to earn affection. It's acting upon what you see and perceive that is being revealed from the lips of God, from the promise of God. All right, in this church, everyone says, it's crazy. This thing's growing. I'm like, I know. I don't know how. We don't advertise. We haven't done this. You're going to double service. I know. It makes me just as scared. I told someone this week, they said, how are you doing with the transition? I said, I'm just as scared this week as I was the week I left my last one and gave it away. And I said, and I've been praying all these things, but it's more vulnerable than I thought. And when you put your rubber to the road and you actually put your money where your mouth is and say, oh, we want to have dependence and we want to be vulnerable and I want no plan B. I'm like, man, it's harder than I thought. But we're not stopping from faith for faith. We don't live by sight. We live by faith, right? We're walking a journey all in. You'll seek me, find me, when you search for me with all your heart. Faith looks like risk again and again and again and again and again and again. This is the life 
that we get to live. And it is vulnerable as heck. But it's worth it because he's good. He doesn't fail us. He's faithful. His mercies are new day after day. And he is good, resoundedly, undeniably good. And the more that we entrust ourselves, the more we will find him. The more we seek him, the more we'll find him. Day after day, the more he gives us, we give it back. Gives us, give it back. Gives us, give it back. How much can we give? Right? You can't outgive God. And you're giving him back what he already gave you. We just act sometimes, we get so responsible. It's like, oh, he gave it to me as I surrendered, but now I need to, now I need to make sure that, right? Like, you get our hands on it. That's not where he wants us. It's my strong conviction that when we hold nothing back from him, he will hold nothing back from us. And that's what we were put on this earth for. That's the longing of every human heart, is the fullness of Christ Jesus. And I do not want anything less than his fullness for myself, for all of us. And I believe that is what the world's looking for. Psalm 67, it says, God, be gracious to us and bless us. Cause your face to shine upon us so that your ways will be known on the earth. In other words, your wisdom manifest and your salvation go forth amongst the nations. That prayer is linking a blessed favored people who are walking in such a way. Bless us, be gracious to us, shine your face on us so that when people look at us, they will perceive the wisdom of God and your salvation will then follow. The world needs people walking in the blessing of God. Void of pride, void of fear. He needs you, the world needs you fully alive, walking in fullness so that salvation can flow through you to all types of cultures, all types of realms, influences, places. Uh, but we have to be a people of faith. Amen? Amen. I'm going to just close there. I feel like that's it. And I want to um, pray. I want to pray for a minute. Um, I just feel like the Lord, um, there's, I feel like he wants to release, uh, like, the prophetic grace. I just felt like it's here all night. Uh, not that it's not always here, but sometimes I just feel like God's particularly wanting to move in certain ways. So I feel like God has promises that he wants to release for some of you. Um, and so I'm going to pray that the promises of God will be released. I'm going to pray into this. And then I'm also going to have, yeah, if you can, you can play, that'd be great. But I'm going to have prayer team come up. You can just come up right now as well. Um, and then when we close, I, if, I just feel like if you need it, if you're saying it's time, like I need a promise, like I feel like I've been in this kind of this staticness and I'm wanting something that I can clench my faith to. I feel like God just wants to speak to you and wants to prophesy to you tonight. Um, prophecy is uh, not like a hyper mystical thing. It's uh, when God speaks to his children. And uh, and I think he wants to do that in this place tonight. So if you, uh, I just, you can stand up if you want. I'm going to just pray a corporate prayer. You don't have to. You can sit. Just open yourself to receive. Lord, we thank you that from the very beginning, you're the promise giver. And to the very end, you'll be the promise keeper. I thank you, God, that promises are the way that you communicate love to us. It's the way that you, uh, you whisper to us, God. You affirm us. You encourage us. You tell us who we are, God. And I just sense in my heart tonight that you're wanting to release new promise 
and new faith to your people, God, that you're wanting to activate and release things in your people, God. For those that say, I've been in a place where I haven't been, I haven't been stretched in a long time in my walk with you. I pray, God, that 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 conviction, that they will not let it go dormant, that they will not let it fall to the ground, but they'll lay hold of it, and that you will use it, God, to create a stirring, to create a movement. I pray, God, that you will come down and put your hand upon the waters of our hearts, and that you'll stir up the waters of our hearts. God, I thank you that you made us for something more than mediocrity, God, that you made us for something more than it, because we're formed in your image, and everything you are is glorious and great, and God, you are fathering us personally into greatness. You are fathering us personally into the fulfillment of the call of God upon our lives. And so I ask God that you equip us tonight, that you stir up faith, God, and not a passive faith, not a blind faith, but an active faith, God, that you give us something to exercise our faith on wherever we are. God, if we're at the baby end, just give us a baby step, God. And if it's a leap of faith, then let it be a leap of faith. But I ask God that you speak clearly, just like you spoke to Abraham, just like you spoke to David, just like you spoke to Heidi, just like you spoke to me, God. You are a God who speaks, and I just ask that the word of the Lord will be released into this house tonight. And I pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.